0: this morning thank you thank you you may be seated well good morning it's nice to see you as carlene said earlier it's just it's nice to to uh be emerging into some uh warmer temperatures after a few cold days there this week and uh reminding us of what winter is like in this part of the world, but uh, it's great to have you here in person in this building this morning. Welcome, we're glad you're here. And for those of you joining us on live stream, we're glad that you joined us as well. And if you're in the building and it happens to be your first time here, we want to extend a very warm welcome to you and tell you that uh, we are delighted that you're here and uh, we just uh, want to welcome you and make you feel right at home, we want to be able to come alongside and serve you as best we can and so to do that we ask if you would take the connection card in the pew pocket in front of you You fill that out, take it to the information desk in the foyer at the end of the service someone will be there, there will be a small gift there for you and uh, we just want to buy your loyalty, bribe your loyalty so there is a small gift there for you just to beg you to please come back again Uh, at some point, so thank you for being here and uh, thank you for doing that. Uh, I do have a couple of announcements today and announcements are always exciting because there's an indication of some things, that some things are happening. So first of all, uh, on behalf of Kelly and the Kerr Street team, uh, she asked me to express thanks to you. A number of people did respond to the call to build onto the existing team that serves breakfast at Kerr Street. She's uh, reached the point where she has enough additional volunteers, so thank you for your response to that. greatly, greatly appreciate it. On February 24th, and Caleb, I don't know if you can see the slide. yet. there it is. Um, So Perfect Peace Ministry will be hosting an event on Friday uh, evening on February 24th. And uh, in order to host that evening, uh, Rhoda and her team are inviting any of us who have things that we would like to donate to that evening. Uh, I think it says in their slide, anything and everything, that's kind of dangerous, Rhoda, but, but um, you know, uh, if you have some things that you could donate uh, to, to the cause, then that would be greatly appreciated. You can bring it in over the next couple of Sundays and leave it in the co room area of back here in the foyer. And if you have larger items like furniture, please do not bring those in. Uh, contact Rhoda and she will arrange to have them picked up. So that's even better for you if, if that's the case. And so if you have larger items, let them know they'll pick them up. Otherwise, you can bring things in, leave them in the code area there, and uh, we're excited to be able to host that event on Friday, February the 24th. Also, on Sunday, February the 26th, we will be hosting a brunch after the service on Sunday morning. And all of you are invited to be a part of that. There'll be pancakes and sausage and juice, tea and coffee. Um, We are not charging officially for the event. There is a $5 suggested donation. You do not have to pay in advance when you come. uh, All we're asking is that you sign up ahead so that we know how many to prepare for. So there is a sign up at the information desk, and you can go by there, and you can sign your family up, and you sign yourself up, and uh, that way we know how many to prepare for. And then Sunday, the 19th of February, will be the final day to sign up, so that we know how much food to buy and prepare, and uh, you're welcome. And then at the event, when you come in, there'll be an opportunity to drop your donation. Kids 10 under are free, uh, suggested donation of $5 a person, and uh, if you're not able to pay that, then that's fine. Just don't, don't make that suggested donation and just enjoy. We want you to enjoy sharing brunch with us and any funds that are exceeded over and above what the cost of the brunch are will be uh, handed off to our youth who are gonna be doing an event in May and uh, it'll, it'll help them with that. So please keep that in mind. If you're here today and you have children that are newborn up to age three, We do have a nursery that's available all during the service, and you can feel free to take your child there at any time, and there's someone there to care for them. And also just to remind you that... uh Our kids ministry is age four up to grade five. And so any kids age four to grade five, you are invited to make your way over to this side. Some volunteers will be here to help you find your way. Uh, And I'm also inviting the ushers if you would prepare to receive the morning tithes and offerings at this time. And if you prefer to give electronically, you can do that by sending your e-transfer to giving at epcoakville.com that's it. I think that's all the things. God bless you. Thank you. And Carlene, I'm going to hand it back over to you.
1: You are welcome to remain seated while you give your offering and your tithes. As soon as you've done so, we invite you to stand with us.
2: (laughs) Worthy is the
1: this morning, that's both a statement and a question. We stand and we say with as much assurance as humanity can allow, how great is your love? And yet, like little children, we are in awe. How great, how great is that love? love towards such as us. We love you back.
0: Amen. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Philippians chapter 4, and we're just reading verse 13. It's our focus verse for this morning, but we'll be looking at verses 10 to 20 as we work our way through. And it says this, I can do all things through Christ." strengthens me. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Carlene and team, for leading us so beautifully this morning and reminding us of God's love, God's grace, God's faithfulness to us. It's good to be reminded of that often, and so thank you for doing that today. If you know me, you know that I don't do well with heights. Now, there's a technical term for that. In my family, it's called baby. But the technical term is acrophobia, not to be confused with arachnophobia, which is the fear of spiders, which I don't have unless they're as big as my head. Acrophobia. I never have And my commitment to you is, nor will I ever, plan to go up to the observation level in the CN Tower, let alone do the edge walk. That's never going to happen. I'm good down here. You go. I'll wait by the hot dog vendor. I'll meet you when you come back down. A few years ago, we were visiting San Francisco, great city. And of course, one of the highlights is visiting the Golden Gate Bridge. I don't know if you know this, but there is a pedestrian section on the bridge, and if you're on the pedestrian area, as the trucks and cars are driving, you can feel the bridge moving. I, I didn't do very well with that. And so we were walking along, and, and that flipped me out to the point that I kind of stopped and hugged onto like the first pillar and just let the rest of the group go out to the center of the bridge, and I just waited for them there uh, until they came back. Last week, I talked about finally being able to take our dream trip, and part of that was three days in Paris. And of course, you can't visit Paris without visiting the Eiffel Tower, and for Jennifer, visiting the Eiffel Tower includes going up to the observation area. It was a dream trip, and Paris is the city of love, and so I knew I had somehow had to find a way to get myself up to the observation tower and uh, make my way up there. And, and I did. I, I did. I, I got on the elevator and I closed my eyes. And I waited. And when the movement stopped and the noise stopped, I opened my eyes and walked out. Side note, it's hard when you're a grown man and you open your eyes and there's a little kid who's staring at you wondering what is deficient about this grown human being. But I don't do well with heights, but this was a moment where it was, well, I have to overcome this. There are various moments in life when we face challenging and threatening and fearful and intimidating circumstances, and we somehow have to find a way to overcome, to survive, to conquer our fears. Well, today we are continuing with our, um, our sermon series that we've been doing for the last few weeks, Promise Book Passages, as we explore some of the most common scriptures that are taken out of context. And our goal is to attempt to understand them within the context that they were intended and they are intended to be understood. So today we're focusing on Philippians 4.13. It's a verse. That followers of Jesus often associate with motivation to get through, to succeed, to accomplish something in terms of difficult tasks or circumstances. Our goal today is to understand the Apostle Paul's words, because these are his words, within the context that he intended and what was he writing about when he said these words, So we can understand and discover what it is he's he's saying here. And as we do, I believe what we will discover is that this verse is less about accomplishing and overcoming. And it's actually more about contentment. And so we'll, we'll walk through that this morning. So we'll start with seasons. Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 to 20. That segment contains Paul's expression of gratitude for the gift that the Philippian church had sent to him. This is where he's taking the time to express gratitude for that gift. This person named Epaphroditus has traveled from the Philippian church and has brought Paul this gift from them. The gift caused him to rejoice in the Lord for it. The gift came from them, but Paul acknowledged that God worked through them. God they were a conduit from God to provide him the help that he needed. And the gift was a long time coming. It'd been about 10 years since the last time Paul received financial support from them. In fact, about 10 years ago, they were the only church that was supporting his ministry. And so when he said the words at last, you've sent me a gift at last. He didn't mean, you know, what took you so long? He's not being sarcastic. He's not being passive aggressive about receiving this gift. He understood that the reason they did not send support to him was because they lacked an opportunity to do so. And so Paul uses horticultural language here to express his understanding of the situation. The word opportunity, you now have the opportunity, means season, season. All plant life functions within a cycle of seasons. And the gardener has to wait patiently for the proper season to see the plant bloom and produce. And so within the horticultural world, there is a moment there is a moment, there is a season for these things to take place. And the Philippians' season, the Philippians' opportunity had arrived. This was their moment, and they responded to the season, they responded to their opportunity, the moment, positively. And Paul said, you know, they had renewed, by sending this gift, by responding to the season, they had renewed their concern for him, literally meaning to bloom again, to bloom again. It's that idea of perennials that come back you know, each year and then go away and then, then they come back. He's saying, you know what, your, your generosity, their support of him bloomed 10 years ago and now the season has come around and it's bloomed again. And so that's the language he's using here. And Paul had spent the time between blooms, like a gardener. He had been waiting on God to provide the bloom, and now God had provided through them. So that's how he starts this section. Then he moves into secrets. God had allowed Paul to go through many challenging seasons in his life. And these challenging seasons had a positive impact on Paul. They're they're challenging seasons, but they've been positive because these seasons have developed and shaped his faith. And so Paul understood that the seasons of his life, the seasons of his ministry, were in God's hands and that God was still ultimately in control and God would provide for him in each and every season. And so Paul had learned some important lessons about God's care for him. And he's sharing these in this section between verses 10 and verse 20. He's learned some important lessons about God's care. Specifically, he has learned to be content. He has learned to be content. Now, the word content means to experience peace within. To experience peace within. Something I believe most, if not all, people long for. Inner peace. And so, the word content means that. It's not a peace that's based on your external circumstances. In fact, your external circumstances could be terrible, but you have peace within. It's not based on one's ability to will it into being inside of you by focusing or saying the right things or doing the right things. That's not what contentment means here. It's this peace that comes within despite what's happening around you and despite your best attempts to make it happen. There were many wandering teachers and philosophers in the ancient world at this time who would go from place to place selling their ideas that contentment was found within one's abilities to tap into their inner strength, that people could find contentment within themselves. Of course, God not connected to that at all. And so Paul said that his strength, his contentment, was because of the one who dwelled within him, Jesus. He was the one who gave Paul strength. He was the one gave him peace. He was the one who enabled him to be content. And so Paul said he had learned this truth. He had learned it. He had learned it from experience. He had to go through some hard times in order to learn it. In fact, someone has said experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. And he had to experience that. Paul knew what it meant to be a prisoner He knew what it meant to be in chains. He knew what it meant to have a little, even not enough food to eat. He knew how it felt to be robbed of any comfort. In fact, that is his conditions. Those are his conditions at the moment he's writing this letter. This is his very environment. Yet he says he was content with whatever God provided. In fact... If he had not gone through hard times, he would never have been able to learn to be content. Paul was able to be content when his resources were limited, when the giving stopped blooming, when he was going without because of Jesus. He also knew what it was like to have plenty. He said, I've been on the other side of this too. Most likely referencing back to the days when he was a uh, you know, a higher up in the, in the spiritual leadership of Judaism and, and uh, you know, a noted, respected, uh, powerful person. And he said, I, I remember what it was like to have plenty. I lived that season of my life of those days. And so he's saying, I, I've known both seasons. I remember when it was good and I now know what it's like when it's tough. And he said, in the middle of all that, I've, I've learned a secret I've learned a secret. And then he shares his secret. He's probably not a very good friend to confide in because he tells you he has a secret and then he tells you what it is. He said, I've learned a secret of contentment. But what is the secret of contentment? What is the secret? Well, the secret of contentment is learning to trust God in every situation and every circumstance. Paul says that's the secret of contentment. He was able to be content within his circumstances, in that cold, dark, damp prison, because Jesus was within him, regardless of the circumstances that were happening around him. Paul was able to experience contentment because he had learned to trust God in every season. In every season. And then he wraps up the section by talking about supply. Paul told them, he said, I am amply supplied. What you have sent with Epaphroditus to me was full payment. It's the idea of overpaying beyond their needs and beyond his needs. He said, you know what? Your generosity was overwhelming. What he brought to me, I I, I wouldn't have even imagined that, that someone could do that for me. And as he was referencing their their generous gift, he referenced the Old Testament sacrificial systems. And he said, the part where, you know, in the Old Testament where generous sacrifices were made, the references in scriptures are that these sacrifices were fragrant. They were pleasing to God. That these sacrifices rose up to the nostrils of God and and God is like, "Mm, oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. That's good. The Philippian church had been obedient to God. They had given sacrificially and generously. And the result is that God was like, yeah, mm, yeah, God's pleased. Paul said, God's pleased with your act of generous sacrifice. Paul in verse 17 told them that receiving the gift was a good thing. And he appreciated their gift. But receiving the gift was not the most important priority for him. There was more to this story than a giver and a gift and a a recipient. There was a long-term relationship between Paul and this church that had been going on for about 10 years. They had been partners with him from the beginning. And he was more excited. He was more excited about what would be, he says, accredited to their account because they gave to him than he was with what he personally received. You know, sometimes when a gift is given, we're just all about the gift and, and, and you know, we get lost in, in, the, in the gift. But he's saying, I, I love the gift and the gift is generous and it's, it's got that sweet smelling, you know, you know, rising up to God. But, but you know what really moves me most in your gift is that I know that this is going to be credited to your account. He's using financial terminology again and he says, because of your generosity and because of your sacri- uh, sacrificial gift, God, you know, God is putting credit to your account. God keeps good records, and Paul says, I I could never repay you. I can't bless you, but God can do what I, I can't do. And he said, my God will meet all of your needs. The word meet means to fill to capacity. They gave financially, and they will be repaid in spiritual currency. Now, sometimes we get that wrong, right? It's like, oh, I gave God 10 bucks. He gets 20 bucks back. This is a good investment. No, he, they invested financially. They will be repaid spiritually. They will know the blessings of God. Now, I want you to note that he promises their needs would be met, not their wants. He didn't say, God will, my God will supply all of your wants according to his riches and glory. He says, oh, he will supply all of your needs. Those who trust in God with generosity, can be certain that he will supply their needs. And so Paul was able to experience contentment because he had learned, again, to trust God in every circumstances. And he learned that through the good and the bad seasons, the tough seasons of his life. So let's focus on our scripture that's found in here and how this applies to us. It is important for us to not lose sight that this letter that's being written to the Philippians was written by Paul from a Roman prison. That's really important. And that even though he's writing it from a Roman prison, the the theme of the letter is joy, which seems very ironic because, you know, he's imprisoned. He's, He's facing hardship. And he actually mentions in the letter that He's expecting that he's probably going to die. And so Paul was reminding them that joy is not based on external circumstances and emotions, that joy is rooted in having confidence in our relationship with Jesus. Believing that God is with us in the most painful moments of our lives, supporting us and ultimately bringing something good out of these difficult seasons. Now, our verse today often makes an appearance within the sports world with athletes. It's, if you follow sports at all, and, and I am somewhat of a sports guy, okay, maybe a lot of a sports guy, except soccer. I just don't get soccer. Sorry, I just, I just don't. But, but I'm, you know, I'm a sports guy. And this verse makes its way and makes an appearance within sports with athletes, in a lot of different sports, if you're watching, you'll notice that there are large tattoos of Philippians 4.13 on their bodies. As you can see in the picture, some put the black eye strips with Philippians 4.13 below their eyes to hinder the sun's reflection. Some write it on their shoes before a game. I found it kind of ironic because this morning I was watching the news and someone who uh, it was an athlete who does this continuously actually is out now because he had a leg injury. I thought, well, that's kind of ironic, isn't it? For many athletes, this verse is a motivating verse. It's a motivator to succeed, that we can, we can do it, we can rise above, we can accomplish, we can, we can, you know, we can do what we set our minds to do with Jesus' help. As a reminder that we can reach our full potential, that you can accomplish and overcome the hard parts of sports and you can be a winner again it becomes complicated when someone on the other team also has it written on their body somewhere and so now who does God choose and who does God let win very complicated scenario I gotta say I can't solve it for you this morning but Jesus you know you know if by focusing on this it means you know it's with God's help I can be a winner I can fulfill my full potential I can you know see my full talent And while these things may be true, Philippians 4.19 is is not about succeeding. I, I don't imagine that Paul was envisioning that when he wrote it in the Roman prison. It's not about succeeding, and it's not about winning, and it's not about reaching one's potential, and it's not about accomplishments. Some followers of Jesus quote this verse as encouragement when going through a difficult time. That Jesus will give them the help they need to bring them out of their difficult circumstances. That, that, you know, he's the one who will bring them out. And again, while this may be true, right? Because a lot of things we believe about certain verses are true. It's just that these verses aren't about that. And so while this may be true, Philippians 4 4, 13 is not about getting through challenges. It's not about being released from difficult circumstances. That's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul's focus here is not about what he can do to change his life circumstances, his focus is not on trying to find a way out of his prison. His focus is on the contentment that he has found within his circumstances, within the prison walls, despite the present prison realities because of Christ who strengthens them. I can do this right now. I can be in this difficult season I can do this because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The the victorious things and these painful, difficult things. And so Philippians 4.13 is not about getting out and it's not about getting through. It's about being content within. It's about being content within. And that's exactly what he's talking about here. And sharing his testimony of how he was able to do that. Our lives are a series of seasons. Moments when all seems dead and dry and also seasons that are filled with life and hope. And if you're a follower of Jesus, there's a good chance that you've experienced high seasons in your spiritual life. Seasons when obeying and trusting God in difficult circumstances, came easy. When you chose to remain faithful and focused on Him, without any doubt that you knew that He was with you and leading you. And in these times, you experienced the extraordinary hand of God on your life. Many of us have had those seasons. He he provided for your needs. You were not in want. He protected you from harm. You took steps of faith and you could see how you were clearly rewarded for taking them. Times when you stared evil in the eye and had confidence that your God was greater and you refused to be intimidated. I mean, these, these are high seasons. And in these times, it seemed like God answered your prayers and he showed himself to be powerful in your life and worthy to be worshipped above all others. There are seasons when we are unshakable in our faith, when we are bold and we could never imagine anything different than that. These are great seasons as a believer, and we wish every season could be like that. It's our preference. It may not be yours, but it certainly is mine. I want that season. I just want summer all the time, Right? But the truth is we can't always live in the season of bloom. There are moments in our lives when the blooms fade. When our legs get knocked out from under us and we quickly go from this high spiritual experience to a low. And when this happen when that happens to us faith that seemed unshakable is shaken. Trust that could never grow weary becomes exhausted. Our God that once felt so close to us feels like he's so far away. Prayers that once were very quickly answered now seem to be falling on deaf ears. Circumstances of life bring change, bring loss, bring heart-wrenching pain and disappointment and our spiritual confidence can quickly melt into fear and we find ourselves physically exhausted emotionally exhausted and spiritually exhausted well how can we know contentment when life is like this how can we know contentment well paul reminds us that we're able to experience contentment When we understand that life is a series of seasons with something beneficial. Hear this. There is something beneficial to be gleaned from every season. Because life is not just about the destination. It's not just about where we're going to end up. It's about the journey getting there and who we become along the way. And so in hindsight, we've come to see and we've come to understand that if we are to be honest and reflective, that we grow in our faith the most. We get to really know God best. We are changed more in the low seasons of life than we are in the high seasons of life. (coughs) Excuse me. Learning to find contentment regardless of our circumstances is not the same as not caring. Because that can happen. We can just totally disengage. It's not the same as giving up. It's learning to trust God in every situation. Believing that He loves us. And He is ultimately in control. And so I believe we need to ask ourselves some very honest questions. Have we... Really learned the secret of contentment? I mean, Paul says he's learned it. Have, have we learned it? Do we really trust God in every circumstances, or, or are we prone to worry? Are we prone to fear? Are we prone to anxiety? Are we prone to try to take things into our own hands and, and, and try to fix it only to, to make it worse than it was before we, we tried? Have we discovered His strength? when we no longer have strength? Or do we rely on our own strength only to discover that our strength quickly runs out? How do we cope when we have limited or little resources? The secret of contentment is learning to trust God in every situation and circumstances. And so whether we have much Or whether we have little. Whether things are good or things are bad. We can trust God. And we're able to experience contentment when we learn to trust God in every situation. I'm going to invite our worship team back. Folks, our lives are a series of seasons. Moments when all seem dry and dead and seasons that are filled with life and hope. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, including being content when life is hard, which is what Paul is talking about in this verse. This verse is less about accomplishing and overcoming and escaping, and more about contentment. The secret of contentment Is learning to trust God in every situation and every circumstance. In a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together. For followers of Jesus, was there ever a darker season? Was there ever a season when the bloom fell off and things went so dark and confusing and painful? than seeing Jesus arrested and killed and not really being able to grasp, despite his best efforts, what was going on here. This seemed like the lowest, darkest, rock-bottom season they could ever experience. But what they couldn't see is that God was still working when there was death, When there was loss, when there was pain, when there was grieving, then when there was hopelessness, when nothing made sense, God was still working. And fortunately for them, it only took about three days to see that. That it led to the resurrection. That it led to hope. It led to being able to look back and say, Oh, okay, I see it now. Now, for many of us, that time is longer. But the truth is, as we celebrate communion this morning, communion reminds us that Jesus said, unless a seed dies, there will not be life. Life comes from the death, from the pain, from the heartache, from the dark seasons, and it blooms again. And in that time in between, We are content because we believe that we can trust God in every circumstance, even when we can't see that he's working. So would you stand with us this morning? And as the worship team leads us, would you take these next few moments to be reminded that what you hold in your hand is a reminder, is symbolism of hope and a different season and a different day, and a God who is at work even when it seems like he may be gone and abandoned us. Arlene, would you lead us this morning?
2: When I survey the wondrous crown
0: interesting how sometimes the words of a song that you've sung your whole life hit you in a moment in a way that you've not really focused on that part before. But as we just sang that, sorrow and love flowed, mingled down. That's life, isn't it? That mingling of sorrow and love, of hopelessness and hope even in our sorrow, there's a love that reaches out to us from the heart of God that is so incredibly powerful that we can hardly understand or contain it. On the way in this morning, you would have, hopefully you received a self-contained communion. You Push down on the tab and remove the little thin plastic layer on the top. Hopefully that works for you. The last couple Sundays has been a bit, last couple times has been a little bit of a struggle for me. Sometimes they're not created as they should be, but you pull the wafer out and then the larger foil will give you access to the juice this morning. Not been a part of using these before. Paul, once again, writing to the Corinthian church in chapter 11, verses 23 and 24, said to them, I pass unto you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. In the midst of darkness, in the midst of betrayal, he gave thanks to God for it. And they broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we drink together. Eat together. Please. Oh Jesus, we thank you for your purpose, For your love and your grace. Paul goes on to write in verses 25 and 26 in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new covenant between God and God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it for every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again and we drink together what you've done and the hope that we have in you. Lord, I pray today that we would recognize that because of all of that, regardless of where we find ourselves emotionally, physically, or spiritually this morning, regardless of the season we find ourselves in, regardless of if everything is working out well or if everything seems to be falling apart, that we have learned to be content. We have learned to know peace because we know that we can trust you regardless of the season that we're in. And so for those who are in a difficult season this morning, would you bring your peace? Would you teach them the importance to be able to look to you, to focus on you, to see you and know you, and affirm their trust in you this morning so that peace will come? Father, we think of those in our congregation who are not able to be here this morning that need your physical touch. We think this morning of Ray Chan. We think today of James Cornelius and Stelma Josephs. and There are others of our seniors who are shut in and are not well enough to be here, but are committed faithfully to watching and staying connected via our live stream. And I pray today for your touch upon them. For your strength for your reminder that you are with them that you will never leave them and god i pray that you would bring strength to them and their families and peace to them and their families and for those who may be in this room today who are struggling and need your touch would you minister to them and strengthen them today we pray thank you for the privilege that we've had to gather in this place this morning Thank you, Lord, for your presence here with us. Thank you for the difference that you make in whatever season we are in. And may as we leave this place today, Lord, be able to minister out of whatever season we find ourselves in to show the love and grace of God to a world who desperately needs your love and your grace. We just pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Pray that you have a great week and God willing, we'll see you next Sunday.